John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Let me read the, the first 17 verses and then we'll pray and we'll get into it together. John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already been put, in, put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he, led a, he, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it, around, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if, you do not, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who would betray him, and that, that is why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And Father, we pray that you would meet us here, Lord, as we look at a familiar story, a familiar narrative in your word. Father, would you help us to learn what we need to learn, to see the importance of us receiving the service that you bring to us through Jesus and giving out the service that we are to do in the name of Jesus. Father, teach us how this works. Teach us what this means and give us a heart to move forward that you might be glorified and that we might be built up. We pray it in Jesus' name and everyone who agrees says, what would you do if you knew this was the last day you would spend with those you loved, what would you do? How would you spend your time? What would you do with those people that you love? Because we have that situation here in John chapter 13. This is a situation where Jesus knows it's the night before he's arrested. He knows he'll be arrested, he'll be beaten, he'll be crucified. And so what he's doing is... He's wanting to take this last night he has with these beloved disciples and he's wanting to invest in them in such a way that they're ready for what he's about to do. What he's about to do for them in his death and his resurrection and his ascension and what he's going to do through them to literally change 
the world. He wants to prepare him for that. And so to begin this night, even, even kind of just when supper is beginning, to begin this night, here's what he does. He decides to wash their feet. And what we want to look at today is we want to look at how Jesus choosing this act of service, it actually illustrates his love for his disciples, but also it's, enc it's encouraging them. It's, it's kind of laying out for them, giving a framework for them of how that love should operate, how they can demonstrate his love when God begins to use them to change the world. So we're going to look at three ways that Jesus shows us how to serve. We're going to look at what it means to be serving like the servants. So we pick it up in verse 1 again, and it says, Now the feast of the Passover, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, and it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now John wants us to see, when we read this, he wants us to see that Jesus is very clear. He knew exactly why he was doing what he was doing. Why he was going to just wash their feet. Why he was going to say to them what he says to them in chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, and 17. He knew exactly why he was sharing all these things. It was because he loved them. He loved them. This is why he did it. Everything he did was a demonstration of love. Including what's happening here. And John wants us to see this. In fact, it's interesting. It says that Jesus knew who he was here. And he also knew who was with him at that dinner. In verse 2 it says, During supper, when the devil had already been put into the heart of Jesus Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. He knew exactly who was going to be there. He had all authority. He had all power. We'd seen him stop people from doing things against him that he didn't want to happen to him yet. He could have stopped Simon in one sense. He knew exactly what Simon was, was going to do. And yet, he uses this power, this authority to serve others. Including, listen, including those who were really his enemies. Those who didn't want the, the kind of service that he had to offer. They didn't want him to be the servant that he made himself out to be. This is one of the many times we see Jesus actually practicing what he preached. Remember what he says in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So when Jesus serves out of love, he does so in a way that shows this is love even for my enemies. It's interesting too because we get to, to verses 4 and 5. We'll come back to verse 3 in a second. But we get to verses 4 and 5 and John's kind of describing what he sees. And, and we're going to see in a minute, as we just read, how, how Peter is just kind of blown away that Jesus would do this for him. But John seems equally blown away. It's like John is just like thinking, what's happening here? Why is Jesus getting up from the, the, the favor, the honored seat around the table for Passover? Why is he doing this? Well, why is Jesus taking off his outer robe? Well, why is he putting a, a towel around his waist? What's he getting that water for? And what we see here is, is not only John kind of mesmerized by what's happening, we see Jesus is doing something that they weren't even prepared to do. There wasn't like a basin of water set there next to him. There wasn't like a, a servant's towel. You get a sense that Jesus had to gather this stuff to do what should have been done when anybody gathered together at a feast like this. He's blown away by this. But if you go back to verse 3, here's what we see, right? 
In verse 3 it says, speaking of what Jesus knows, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, he knew that he was the beloved Son, that he had all authority. He says that he had come from God and was going back to God. Jesus knew exactly who he was when he girded himself getting ready to serve like this. In fact, it's important for us to get this, and maybe if you don't get anything else today, this is the thing I'd really want you to get. Listen, all his works, all Jesus' works were done as the one who is supremely loved. Jesus knew he was the beloved one, and his service flowed from that. This is important. Because Jesus didn't serve to find his identity. He served to demonstrate his identity. Do you see the difference? And one of the things that, that, that concerns me, and, th and this is not me picking on servant shirts, I promise. I, again, I know how busy you guys are, how well you guys do seek to serve. But one of the things that concerns me about the church in the West in general is that we're also concerned about when it comes to service, it's like, what would I be good at? What are my gifts? Where's my place in the body? Now, there's a place for that. Don't get me wrong. But Jesus didn't serve that way. In fact, as we're going to see in this example, he's not even doing something that he was uniquely equipped to do. Jesus didn't serve for identity, to find his identity. He served to demonstrate his identity. What was his identity? He was, a he was the beloved, only begotten Son of God. He served from that direction. In fact, this is what we see the testimony of Jesus, or the testimony about Jesus throughout the Gospels, listen to this, in Matthew chapter 3 and also in Matthew chapter 17, we see two different times when God verbalizes to an audience who Jesus is. Suddenly, a voice came from heaven, this is Jesus at his baptism, and God the Father speaks, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, before he's crucified. At the beginning of his ministry, before he's actually had his earthly teaching ministry. His identity was already there. And then when he takes Peter, James, and John up, up this mountain to seek the Father together, and he's transfigured. You guys remember the story in John Matthew 17? He, he's, he's, he kind of gives them a glimpse of his glory, the, what he's like before he gets a human body. He sees, they see him as in his glory. And when they see him, what happens? While Peter was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out from the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. If you remember the context, Peter was tempted to go, Oh, we see Moses and Elijah. Let's kind of set up a tabernacle for Moses and one for Elijah, and then one for Jesus. And the Father says, No, no, it's Jesus you need to hear. See, this is the thing that we need to get through our heads, okay? The service that God calls us to, and, 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 I do not feel embarrassed or ashamed at all to say God calls every single one of us who are Jesus followers to service. That doesn't mean that he's calling you all to minister on one of these teams that we said, but he definitely calls you to service. But he calls us to serve in the same way he served, which is serving as a beloved child. It's amazing how easy it is for us to not do this. To either serve out of guilt or out of compulsion. Or to not serve because we just simply don't feel like we are a child of God. Listen, we need to recognize something, okay? 
because Jesus is the beloved son, we can serve as beloved sons and daughters. In John's gospel earlier, Jesus had said this. He said, for the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will truly be astonished. Why did Jesus do what he did? Because the father loved him. Why did he serve? Because the father loved him. Why is he going to wash feet in this situation? Because the father loves him. Because Jesus is the beloved son, we also can serve as beloved sons and daughters. This is what the scripture teaches. Listen. The Bible says, here's how our identity works as Jesus followers. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. What makes you a child of God? Not just because you're created. What makes you a child of God is you put your faith in God's only begotten son who died in your place. What makes you a child of God is that you've put your, your, you've put your hope in, in his righteousness has been gifted to you as your righteousness. As Josh was mentioning today, as we sung, uh, we worship the Lord, that this is where our hope is. Our hope is not in our perfection, it's in Christ's perfection. He's our hope. He's the guarantee that we're loved by God. This is when we, when we recognize, this is why we're dearly loved children, that we, as Paul says in Ephesians 5.1, we follow God's example. Because we are dearly loved children. We don't follow God's example to become dearly loved children. We don't follow Jesus in the service to become dearly loved children. We do so from that identity. And it's important for us to recognize too, listen, it's not the mode of service that demonstrates your identity. It's the motive for service. Because if you, listen, if you've already been accepted by God, because of Jesus, your service just cannot add to that. It can't add to that. You don't have to prove yourself. One of the most freeing things that's happened to me in the last few years was when I burned out in, in December of, of 2019 and then got through that really dark uh, few weeks of, of feeling what I was feeling and was on the road to kind of recovering. One of the things that really freed me up was I don't actually have to be a pastor. I don't have to be. Because I got called into ministry the day I got saved, which is a really unusual thing. And I was only a Christian for like a year and a half before I went to Bible college and trained. And I trained in Bible college, did an internship, and I've been in full-time ministry ever since. And, and sometimes I feel like I'm a professional Christian, that I, I walk with Jesus because it's my job. And when I hit burnout... One of the reasons that, that brought me to that place of burnout was I wasn't serving as a beloved child. I was serving to prove to God that I wanted to be his beloved child. Or that I, I, I wanted to prove to others that I actually am his beloved child. When actually the only way I know that I'm his beloved child is because of what Jesus has done for me. I have to serve from that place. I don't have to be a pastor. But I want to show my identity by saying, God, I want to do what you'd have me do because I know that I'm loved by you, whatever that is. Can you, can, before we move on, can you see where there's freedom in this? Can, can you see how this is different than just a simple reality that we have needs, a whole row of needs as you saw up here? And we do have needs. They're real needs. We're still asking you to fulfill, help us with some of these needs. But can you see that that's not your motivation? The need itself is not the motivation? You finding an identity or a place in God, amongst God's people 
is not the motivation because you already have a place among God's people if your faith is in Jesus. You follow me? So Jesus served as the beloved son. But also, Jesus serves as the active savior. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 6. So Jesus comes to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus said, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you, would, you will understand. Now, maybe another version has two different words there. It might say understand and then know, which would be helpful because there's actually two different Greek words there. I'm not going to pronounce them because Rory will just roll his eyes at me if I try to pronounce it here. <laughs> Rory, our youth worker, studies Greek and reminds me that I haven't all the time. <laughs> But here's the deal. One, one word here, the first word for understand is a word to have like a perfect knowledge. Like you have a perfect conception. You know what's happening. The other one is a, is a knowledge by experience. It comes through a process of experience. And so it's like God is, it's like Jesus is saying to, to Peter, Peter, listen, you don't have a knowledge of what I'm doing. You don't really understand. You don't really have the right concept of what I'm doing. But you're going to experience what I'm trying to, to bring about. There's going to be a process by which you're going to understand exactly what I'm doing through this foot washing thing. Now, we need to know that one of the reasons Peter resists this is because foot washing was a function reserved for the lowest slave. In fact, culturally, if, you're, if you had a Hebrew slave, if you were a Jewish person with a Hebrew slave, you could not make that Hebrew slave do foot washing. It was considered such a low thing to do. A Gentile, no problem. But a Jewish slave, you couldn't do it. You couldn't make them do that. And so basically what Jesus is doing, he's doing what none of them would ever see themselves as willing to do. We're not going to be put that low. There's no way. Jesus is saying, this is how low I'm willing to go. But he's much more interested. He wants something more than just clean feet. He's wanting to illustrate something. In fact, uh, if I can, people hate when I say this, but if I can give you a bit of homework. Read Philippians chapter 2. Not right now. You're in the middle of a sermon. But read Philippians chapter 2, chapter two later on. And, and especially look at verses 5 to 11. And see how what Jesus is doing here. It, when he's physically, practically washing feet. How that's meant to also be an illustration of what he did in, in being God who takes on flesh. There's, there's a parallel there. He's doing something bigger here. There's a, it, it, Jesus is doing this practical deed pointing to a greater reality. Now also look at verse 8. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Now some people think this is just really Jesus saying, look, I'm trying to, come on, Peter, cooperate. I'm trying to do a, a, a metaphor here, you know, instead of... A visual, man. Come on, help me out here. But I actually think there's something more here. I think what Jesus is wanting to do here is, is show that, Peter, do you recognize what it means for me to be your Savior? What it means for me to be your Lord? That the cleansing that I bring to you is absolutely necessary. That it's absolutely necessary. In fact, listen to this. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul says... Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Why did Jesus come? To bring in the kingdom of God, to usher it in. 
and it'll come in its fullness when he returns. Paul writes, though, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Any of those things sound familiar to you? Because Paul says, and that is what some of you were. But notice, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You see, here's the, here's the reality. None of us who practice these things inherit the kingdom of God. We need to be washed clean and be transformed from the inside out. There has to be that initial washing. Do you notice how Paul says it? Hopefully it's still on the screen. How Paul says, but you were washed, past tense, sanctified, past tense, justified, past tense. That there has to be that initial washing that puts you in this right position with God. This is why Jesus came. This is why I believe Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, you have to let me cleanse you because without cleansing you, you can't even be in my family. This is the only way any of us get in. See, all of us need more than just a metaphor. We need Christ to actually cleanse us with his own blood. We need to have that washed clean. I I love this too because one of the things that is great about the way Paul puts this is that there's not a single category there that at least we're not guilty of at least some of these things. And it's a reminder of us that it's only through Christ's cleansing that we can be made right with the Father. See, Jesus serves us still as an active Savior because look at what happens in verse 9, right? When Peter pushes back on this, you won't wash my feet. Jesus says to him, Simon, Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet then, but my heads, my hands and my head. I, 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 poor Peter, man, this dude's always putting his foot in his mouth. And I just love the fact that what Peter does here is like, oh, okay, I get it, Lord. I need to be cleansed. Everything. So Jesus has to put it in perspective. Verse 10, he says, The one who has been bathed does not need to wash except his feet because he's completely clean. You are clean, but not every one of you. Now, when he says you are clean, he's basically saying you've already been in this washed position. I've spoken the truth to you. I've chosen you. You're already in this washed position, which is interesting because Jesus hasn't even died yet. But he says you're already in that washed position. But he's also saying something else. He's saying, look, cleansing is both completed, done, and it's ongoing. Listen to how John, John who's writing this in in, in the gospel we're in right now, how later on John writes in in his first epistle, his first letter. In 1 John chapter 7, listen. He says, if you walk in the light, as he, that's God, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us or cleanses us, another version says, from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us, or another version says cleanse us, from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Can you see what's happening here with John saying? John's saying, listen, my whole point of writing to you in the epistle is to say, I want you guys to have a real fellowship, a real 
a sharing of life. That's what the word fellowship means. I want you to share the supernatural life that I've brought to you, that I gift to you. I want you to share this life, and part of sharing that life is continually being cleansed. Walking in the light doesn't mean walking in perfection. It means walking without hiding. You don't hide your sin. You deal with it. And it's interesting too here, isn't it? That this is, in the context of this, this is kind of, uh, in, in, in 1 John, the context of 1 John, I should say, that that sort of ongoing cleansing is in, in the context of real fellowship. And I don't think this is like, okay, make sure before you come to the church that you confess all your sins. Oh, God, forgive me for this, this, this. Because if you come and you haven't confessed your sins, you're going to pollute the whole thing. I don't think that's what it's getting at. I think the issue is we should be the kind of people that can confess our sins to each other. Because we're the kind of people that are radically confident that what Jesus has done to deal with our sins is enough. That he can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we can be honest about where we're weak, about where we fail, about where we fall short. We can, we can be honest about our prayerlessness, our lovelessness, our lust, our pride, our greed. We can be honest about it. Why? Because Christ has dealt with it. And we have fellowship together as we say, okay, let's go to Jesus together and say, Lord, cleanse us afresh and keep changing us. But also look at verse 11. Verse 11 says that Jesus knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, and all of you are clean. Now I want you to think about Judas for a second. Because we're talking about Jesus serving us as the active Savior. Now listen, the cleansed person is also the person who continues to trust. Now this is not me getting into the issue of can you lose your salvation or not lose your salvation. I'll let you debate among yourselves. Actually, don't debate about that, please. I'll let you wrestle through that yourself. Okay? You guys know me well enough to know what my conviction is on that, and if you don't, you can ask me. But what this is about is something really important for us to understand. It's about Jesus being clear. Listen, I've washed his feet. I've brought a cleansing to this guy or offered a cleansing to this guy that he's going to show that he doesn't want. Now, I want you to think about this because this, this shows us something about the Savior that we're meant to serve him, but also, listen, it shows us about the fact that God calls us to keep walking with him who cleanses us. See, here's the deal. Because Jesus is actively saving us, we can actively help one another to know his cleansing. This is how it works. I can help you because I'm receiving the help I need from Jesus. You can help me because you're receiving the help you need through Jesus. As we help one another, it's Jesus working by his spirit in one another to help us walk in this cleansing. This is how it works. I love this verse in Hebrews. Hebrews says, for by a single offering he has perfected, that's the position, for all time those who are being sanctified, that's the process. Can you see how this works? If you're in this position, if you've gone, okay, I know I'm the cleansed one. I know Christ is my active Savior. Guess what? Then you should be experiencing this process. In fact, the difference between people who, who uh, believe you can't lose your salvation and you can lose your salvation, the truth is, Christians who differ on this subject, it's really just one word. Those who say you can't lose your salvation say, you, you who are cleansed will continue to be cleansed. 
you'll continue to be sanctified. Those who think you can lose your salvation said, those who are cleansed must continue to be cleansed. That's the difference. The result's the same, isn't it? The result's the same in the sense that we say, okay, God, you've cleansed me. What you did is enough to give me this position that I cannot be removed from. And so I want to continue in that position. Why I'm saying this? Because I think we need to recognize when we're, when we're called to serve like the servant, we're, we're called to continue to be served by the servant. Our church is called Servant's Church, apostrophe S. Not because we're servants. We try, but we fail. If it was about us as being the servants, and it's our church, the apostrophe would be after the S. Or there would be no apostrophe at all. But it's before the S, because it's about Jesus being the servant, and we're his church, and we are so thankful that he served us to bring us into his family, and that he serves us by his Holy Spirit to cause us to operate within his family to continue to experience his saving work. And because I hate tension, I believe anyone who believes that will get there guaranteed. Although you can't read this letter yet. But the reality is this. Service has to flow from the fact that we have Jesus as an active Savior. Lastly, Jesus serves as the perfect example. Look at verses 12 and 13. When he had washed their feet and put out his oil outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Jesus is not, listen, any less Lord of the universe when he's washing feet than he is when he's reigning right now at the right hand of God. He loses none of that authority. This is not about who gets to tell who what to do. I'm sorry, who gets to tell whom what to do. I saw some of you people here as I was there. It is about, listen, it is about us recognizing that he serves as this person in authority. In fact, Jesus calls his disciples to recognize this. Listen, this gets into the theme verse for our church. You know that those who are considered rulers uh, over the Gentiles lord it over them. Hey, we're the boss. You listen to us. And the great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servant. Whoever desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He serves from his position. Service is not something that we do in church to get to a higher position. We, we, we serve because we've first been served. We serve, as Jesus does, as beloved children, because he's made us beloved children. We serve as, as, as those under an act of favor because he's, he's serving us by continually changing us. So we serve that way. But also, listen, we serve because we want to follow his example. Lord, no matter where we get, no matter whatever our position is in society or in, even in the local church, no matter what, we want to simply be servants. I am thankful for all its problems. One of the good things that I saw modeled to me in being a part of the Calvary Chapel movement, the church, which is the group of churches that sent us out to plant this church, is that they have really stressed servant leadership. And we, I grew up, spiritually speaking, and, and growing up in ministry, hearing stories of guys like Chuck Smith, who was the first one to start the movement. 
And, and, and having a church, I mean, this church was like 35,000 people on a Sunday morning, on a Sunday week, would go and visit this church. And in the middle of the service, there's a, a rare rainstorm in, in, in California, and the drains are filling up. And so everyone's looking around like, oh, we don't know what to do with this drain. Chuck takes off his coat, rolls up his sleeves, sticks his head in the drain, pulls out all the muck, washes his hands, goes and preaches the next week. He doesn't think, I need to, where's the, hey, you, come over here, do this. No, I'll do it. I'm thankful that, that we were given that kind of example. Because here's the other thing that we're going to see in verse 14. Look at verse 14. We're going to see that no servant is above any service. It says, if, then, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. This is important because we need to remember the context. Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to the, the 12 men who he chose to change the world. One would betray him. The other 11 would continue faithfully, and God would use them to change the world. Christ would use them to build his church. And he says, here's the priority I want you to have. Serve each other. Never forget how different these guys were. You had Peter, James, and John, Andrew. These guys were all fishermen, working class guys, real blokes. Then you also had, then you also had Matthew, tax collector, someone who wasn't trustworthy or wasn't seen as trustworthy. You had Simon the Zealot, who was like a political activist, maybe even a terrorist. You had all these people. You had Thomas, who just wouldn't be afraid to, to doubt or to say what he felt about something. You have these different personalities, these different giftednesses. And, and what is he saying? He's saying, listen, I want you to wash each other's feet. And I can imagine Matthew, the tax collector, or, or I'm sorry, I can imagine Simon, the zealot, saying, I am not washing Matthew's feet. That guy exploited the people of Israel. These are the guys I used to want to kill. And Jesus said, no, no, wash their feet. And I can see uh, James and John, known as the sons of thunder. We're not washing Peter and, Ant Peter and Andrew's feet. They're stinky as our feet. And besides, they know better than we are. I can imagine these things going through their heads. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. No service, no servants above any service. You need to think about each other. In other words, listen, you can't let your personality or your identity or your giftedness be your motive for service. It has to be love. It has to be love. Now, this isn't meaning that we're ignoring some kind of specific calling that we have. Because the truth is, not everyone's called to do every ministry, obviously. There's a reason why we say that we only want you serving on two teams max. One, we don't want you to burn out. And two, we think, no, no, if you, if you serve for a team for six months and you're going, I'm just not feeling it, great, serve on another team. See, see where you find where, where you're really bearing the most fruit. That's totally cool. We've we got no problem with that. But the point is this. Listen, serving is not about me saying, okay, I've got to find my specific calling. But it is about me saying, I need to be obedient to the one who calls me. I need to be obedient to one who is the perfect example that says, come serve. Listen, Jesus talking about discipleship says this in Luke chapter 17. Jesus says, so likewise, when you have done all things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what is our duty to do. Service of one another, what Jesus is commanding here, is the norm among Christians, or it should be. 
the norm. Lastly, verse 17. Jesus, Jesus, in doing the service, instead of just saying, hey, let me give you a, a picture of service. Imagine a servant washing someone's feet. Instead of giving a metaphor, he does it. Why? Because there's blessing in doing. We need to understand. Look what it says in verse 17. He says, if you know these things. How many of you guys are hearing this going, I've heard this before. Go ahead, I won't be mad. I promise. You've heard something like this before. Don't lie. You guys have all heard a message like this before, right? Most of you, if you've had any church experience, you've heard something like this before. Blessed are you if you do it. That's what Jesus is saying. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Listen, because Jesus calls us to serve as he serves, we can expect, listen, to draw nearer to him as we serve this way. So, so I want to give you guys some encouragement, okay? The, the truth is we do have all these needs, and we'd love it like if, you, if you're interested in doing all the, any of these things on the back table, there's an application form you can fill out. Everyone fills out application to serve on the team. If you're not sure if you're, if you're qualified to serve on a particular team, there's a list of prerequisites, on, again, on the back table that say how long you have to be at service if you want to serve a certain way. But, but the reality is this. Listen, the reality is this. You may never serve on a team and still be a servant. There's people today serving on the hospitality team that aren't officially on the hospitality team. They're just serving because they, 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 there's a need and they want to love people. There, there are, are things that happen behind the scenes that I get the privilege of seeing. Meals prepared for neighbors or hurting people. Phone calls that happen late at night. Cards sent through the post. Conversations happening in front booths. Where hurting believers are ministered to by hurting believers. That's service. And when we do that, you know what ends up happening? We end up drawing near to Christ in the process. Now, I, I, I want to wrap up with this verse, and then I, I want to close up with just a quick thought before I pray. Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Are we concerned about God's opinion above all else? That's the beginning of wisdom. And a good understanding have all those who know his commandments, learn his commandments, do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Listen, there's something special about us doing what God calls us to do that helps us know the God who calls us and show the God. We sing this next song. We definitely could use more people serving in all these teams. No doubt about it. But what we need are more people who know the servant who first served them. We're, we're going to, to close in prayer in a second. And I'm going to have you go. You have certain children's ministry. We're going to have you go sign your kids out and come back and then in a, in a minute after that, we'll be able to give thanks for the food and eat together. And we hope, again, everyone stays, even if you're not preparing. We hope you all feel free to stay and enjoy some food with us. But more important than you joining a team, more important than you enjoying a meal, is you knowing the one who came to serve you, to make you his. Do you know the servant of Servant Street? Do you know Jesus? You know the one who served you? Because if you know him, 
if you know him, you can know him even better by looking to see where he is. Father, I pray that you would help us. Help us to be those that, that desire to grow in you, desire to know what you've done for us, desire to respond as beloved sons and daughters, to respond to your promptings, to be involved in your mission in this church and without this church. And we pray, Father, I pray, Father, for anyone here who, who doesn't yet know you, that today might be the day that they come to know you. They would know that the God of the scripture is a God who saves. It's a God who actively works in us, not because we deserve it, not because he's needy, but because we're needy. And we would know you personally. Lord, we pray to you, bless the rest of our fellowship together today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Everyone who agrees, say,